dear listeners, welcome to Psychiatria, the show where we explore true healing and everything that might mean. I am Danny, your host, guide, and fellow human on this journey. And uh, today I talk with Jenna Mamorski, LCP. And we got to discuss something that I've been wanting to learn more about for a long, long time. And that is polyvagal theory. I learned about the vagus nerve, which is what polyvagal theory is based on in high school and college, but never got as much into polyvagal theory as I wanted to. And when I tried to do my own research online, I either found super scientific articles or very like watered down blogs about it. Uh, so I never found, you know, that kind of thorough, understandable version that I was looking for. So when I got a chance to talk with Jenna about it, I jumped on it. We get into the anatomical foundations of the theory, you know, what the nerve is, where it goes, kind of how it functions, um, and what we can learn from it, you know, what this theory says about how our nervous system works, and then what we can actually do with that knowledge and how we can integrate it into our lives to create more awareness and positive change. I learned so much in this conversation. I know I say that every time, but I mean it every time. And uh, I think that you'll find the same. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to give a really big thank you to Free Range Psychiatry. They are the reason that this podcast is possible. Free Range Psychiatry is a nonprofit organization and holistic psychiatry practice focused on empowering people to connect to their own inner wisdom and heal disease. The team of holistic psychiatrists here sees patients via telehealth all across the country. I am the cosmic coordinator here, uh, meaning that I wear many hats and see all sides of the organization. And I'm constantly amazed by the work happening here and the dedication the organization has to true soul healing, both for the people we help and for ourselves. So if you're curious about taking a holistic approach to your mental health, if you want to come off psychiatric medications, uh, learn about another way to do things, then head to our website. That is freerangepsych.org, F-R-E-E-R-A-N-G-E-P-S-Y-C-H.org. There you can read all about us and schedule a free 15-minute phone consultation with one of our holistic psychiatrists. All right, now back to the episode and let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Jenna. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Good to be yeah. here. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a bit to the listeners? Yeah, so I am a psychotherapist currently based out of Colorado, although I have dual licenses. I also see a lot of clients in New York as well. Super. And um, 
Are there any areas of, of specialty, things that you kind of like to focus on with your clients? Yeah. So I work with mainly adults, uh, 18 plus, and I kind of consider myself a generalist, although I mainly see a lot of clients with anxiety, depression, trauma, a lot of body image, self-confidence kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. those are the main clients that I typically work with. Um, I also do something called EMDR, which works with um, the subconscious and another way to kind of like heal from trauma. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, we will not be talking much about that today, (laughs) although... I would love to do love to do a focus episode on on EMDR um, yeah, and all the things like it. that. <laughs> yeah, podcast number two, definitely, definitely. Um, but so we we got in touch just sort of through networking and and kind of found each other. And I was like, "Hey, I'm doing a podcast. Do you want to be on my <laughs> podcast?" And you're like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it." Um, so we were talking about things that you're interested in, stuff that we could possibly talk about, and polyvagal theory came up, which is something that immediately sparked my attention as something that I have heard of, you know, as a behavioral sort behavioral neuroscience um, major and person. Um, that's always been something that I'm like, God, that's so cool, yeah. but I've never quite understood it. And if you Google it if you try to do research on it. You find stuff that's super complex, super like deep into the research, which is great. Um, but then you also the stuff where people try to distill it and make it more usable. You tend to get a lot of like there's not a lot of consensus, um, or there's people give you, you know, this person gives you side A and side B, and this gives you side b and side c and this one is c and d and there's not a lot of just like this is the whole picture of polyvagal theory um and probably because it's a very large thing you know like it quite literally is this nerve that runs through your entire body uh, or that's what the theory is centered on so i understand how it's difficult to summarize that today but in this episode, I wanted to take some time to get into that and just talk about polyvagal theory and what we know about it, what we can learn from it, what we can use of it. Um, but let's uh, start off with just sort of your your simple definition of polyvagal theory, like what you might tell, um, tell a patient in an appointment. Great. Yes. So the polyvagal theory was uh, developed by a behavioral research scientist named Dr. Stephen Porges. And basically the theory describes how our autonomic nervous system functions. Uh, Prior to this theory, we, we knew about the nervous system and the autonomic nervous system, but we didn't really know. We knew that it was fight flight mode, right? We didn't Mm -hmm. know that there were multiple modes that our nervous system when we're engaging with danger and safety. So um, the main thing that he talks about is that we didn't just have fight and flight, as I said, that we kind of also evolved over time to have all of these different evolutionary hierarchies of um, states that we, that we vacillate between. So 
The first state is immobilization, aka shutdown, freeze mode, which is the oldest evolutionary pathway that Ford describes. So essentially like a like a roly poly bug. You poke it and it just yeah. Exactly. Yes, yes. So what I was gonna say is uh we are not very much different from animals because animals also have a lot of these nervous system pathways where yes, you see a lot of animals play dead when they're in imminent danger. So Mm -hmm. we also have that as well. And then the second uh, evolutionary pathway that we have is mobilization, which is AKA fight and flight mode. When you are learning to engage with danger, you're running away from it or you're fighting danger. And then the most recent evolutionary pathway we have is social engagement, which he calls our ventral state. And that's where humans really developed a way to connect, to feel safe. And it is really only through this pathway that our bodies can heal. We can rest, we can digest, we can engage with other people, we can build communities, et cetera. So uh, it's really about learning how we vacillate between these three different states. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So then these three states per se, um, the freeze and the flight slash fight and uh, or so so it's immobilization mobilization and uh, um ventral you said like Ven- as in as in the ventral side of the vagus nerve yeah correct yeah yeah so the polyvagal theory from my understanding is is it sort of like a description of the functions of the vagus nerve is that like an accurate understanding. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so it, it kind of describes how our autonomic nervous system functions and mm-hmm. how we vacillate between those three different states and how that also contributes to physical symptoms in our bodies as well too, and, and mental health symptoms as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just want to take us back to, to like, anatomy and physiology in high school if you happen to take that (laughs) and uh uh, so the vagus nerve is what one of 12 cranial nerves that we have i believe so i thought that i could be wrong (laughs) (laughs) you should have fact checked this i know (laughs) i could quickly google search but i actually think it's the 10th but i know yes but i know that it is Mm -hmm. the biggest nerve that we have in our body it's the biggest nerve Yes, it's the biggest nerve and cool. it wraps around our vocal cords. It goes all the way down from our brain stems, wraps around our vocal cords, mm-hmm. goes down through our heart and goes all the way to our gut, to our digestive system. So mm-hmm. it's pretty long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So of, of these big nerves that, you know, stem like out of the, the, the top of our spine, like the base of our, our brain stem. Um, this is the one that goes everywhere, right? The other ones are, you know, more for like specific senses and tasting and seeing and things like that. Uh, but this one is, like you say, literally wrapping around your organs. So um, just from that purely anatomical perspective, you can see how it has this power to connect so many things. Um, so, yeah, and then as we'll probably talk further about the different states um, 
all encompass like these different organs that you just listed and the different things and uh, which then sort of in turn turns into the ways that we see this theory and the actions of the vagus nerve um, play out. So, exactly. yeah. Um, very cool. Okay. So you mentioned that the sort of latest discovery, the newest evolution is more of the, the social side of things, but it's the ventral side. So that also means there's a dorsal side. Yeah. So ventral meaning front, dorsal meaning back. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Yes. So exactly that. Uh, so Dr. Porges in the theory talks about how we have different sides to the vagus nerve. So the front side is the ventral side, mm-hmm. as you said, and that responds to signals and clues for cues for safety. Whereas the dorsal side is located in the back of the vagus nerve, which responds to picking up signs for any cues of danger. Okay, so that's interesting. So the dorsal side is the one that responds to danger. So I guess, can you like flesh that out a little bit? Like, what does that mean per se? Can you give an example? Like what it, what might happen? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is actually a good segue into talking about how we see uh, if you have nervous system dysregulation or chronic dysfunction in your nervous system, I'll kind of segue into how that happens and how that leads to certain mental health Mm. symptoms and trauma. So um, when we're born, we, we don't have a regulated nervous system. We're essentially learning about our nervous systems through the people around us, our caretakers, our parents. And we're always picking up clues when you're a baby and when you're a young child, you're very sensitive. That explains so much. (laughs) Yes. That explains so much. I now under, I've like, I've never been, I didn't have younger siblings. I never was around little kids or babies very much, but yeah. Wow. So, yeah. you know, they're walking down the street just crying about something and right. you say, okay, you're, you're just, your nervous system's not regulated yet. You don't <laughs> yeah. know how to do that. I uh, try to explain it. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Cool. So, um, right. So babies, babies and young children, they don't have a regulated nervous system and they learn about how to regulate their nervous system through essentially mirroring of Mm. whoever is taking care of them. So there was actually a really interesting study. I'm sure you've heard of it from um, just any science class. I think I took it in high school. (laughs) They discussed Mm -hmm. um, the science experiment of babies that were, had caretakers where their expressions were not mirrored correctly. So Mm. the baby would smile, the mom would have just a no smile back, no laughter not a lot of touching. Mm -hmm. And then there were uh, other babies that were in the experiment where it was the opposite. There would be the mother mirroring the baby, having a big smile on her face, um, coming into the situation with very calm, soothing demeanor. And uh, basically they found that the babies that had parents that essentially mirrored them and were engaging in them with, you know, a safe, calm behavior ended up not having as many health issues Mm. later in life. So this really explains, right, how the 
going back to the dorsal side. So that kind of gets kicked into gear and overactive when we have parents, right, that don't have a regulated nervous system. So maybe mom's chronically stressed out. She's working two different jobs and she's coming home and, you know, the little kid really wants to engage with mom and, um, you know, tell her about their day and mom is kind of in shutdown mode or very anxious Mm -hmm. and the child is not going to pick up on cues of safety. Right. So, uh, what that later on leads to is just, you're going to read cues from other people incorrectly. Hmm. So people essentially become a threat even when they're not, because you're kind of used to being in a chronic state of that dorsal stage, right? The mobilization or fight and flight mode, because you can never fully surrender and let your guard down because mom doing not doing that. So hmm. we're not really aware of this as this is happening, but we're always learning about how to regulate our nervous system. And it's very sensitive when we're younger. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that answers that question. Yeah, it does. So would it be accurate to say that the dorsal side of the the vagus nerve is the one that sort of is sensitive to this danger, sensitive to the things like that, um, or the things that we interpret as danger right i think when when you say danger in like a psychological sense it's often um not like you know uh, and there's an episode that will have come out probably a bit before this one uh, all about trauma Mm. and we talk about how you know even parents who yell like not even at the child just kind of at things or at each other or whatever it may be like are scary are the sort of bear um that our body especially when we're young doesn't know how to differentiate so then the dorsal side of the vagus nerve is the one that kind of like takes us in in this information and um what's the word i'm looking for like integrates it is that yeah exactly so when we have a big t trauma like Mm -hmm. abuse or neglect or um, even what you were talking about, not necessarily big T trauma, but just yelling, not at the child, but just a situation where the, the child never feels safe emotionally, mm-hmm. then your brain doesn't know, oh, it's just an emotional threat. You're okay. The brain actually thinks that, or the nervous system thinks that you're being attacked by a tiger all the time. Mm. And, uh, you know, essentially we, we all want to get back to the ventral social engagement side, but we can't do that when our body constantly thinks that it's in danger. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of what leads to, you know, shutdown mode all the time, depression, chronic Mm -hmm. anxiety, chronic inflammation in the body, digestive issues, all these things. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Um, (laughs) So fascinating. So then the, the ventral side in contrast to this, as you say, is the social engagement side. But what are what are the other pieces that I guess in practice and physically, right, these nerves parallel each other, um, going down the body, but yeah, kind of um I just want to draw the contrast here between the two. Oh, uh, so how the ventral side operates similar to the Yeah, dorsal. like what its role might be in um 
in like a childhood kind of situation or yeah so similar to what we were talking about when a child is not in an environment with people that are with have regulated nervous systems right or just traumatic situations the same thing goes for when you're in an environment where you have caretakers that maybe for the most part right i mean we're we can't avoid stress we can avoid having mm-hmm. bad days but for most of the time you have a caretaker that shows up for you and they're calm and they try to help you to understand your nervous system and your emotions and what's going on for you and making you feel seen essentially and safe as opposed to feeling like you are in danger that you can't surrender and relax. So when you're in an environment where you feel safe with people and there's pro-social engagement and there's proper mirroring that's happening, then you will essentially, you know, have a more regulated nervous Okay, so that that makes very much sense about very much sense. That makes a lot of sense about the ventral nerve. So that's the one that then takes in this pro-social, the positive, the mirroring, this like, okay, I am I am safe, I am well. Like these people love and care for me. It takes in that information and then integrate integrates it into us. Um right. and I'll go back to the episode on trauma again that I did with Anya Nice and which is actually coming out, it came out the day that we're recording this, ironically enough. Um, She talks about how trauma is more of a, it's a circuitry problem, not not another kind of problem, which like this totally explains how how that happens, right? It's these nerves literally forming the way that we regulate our nervous system um, and how that information is, you know. I think it's interesting to think even that Think about how the ventral nerve is on the front side of her body and the dorsal one is on the back side of her body and how we can even associate that with positive and negative things. Like, right, like when you see somebody you love and you get a hug, like that's front side, you know, and if I mean, we can go to like spanking or things like that. It's like all backside stuff. Like even if um, somebody like is standing in front of you, puts their hand on your shoulder can feel way different than if somebody's standing behind you and puts their hand on your shoulder. Um, which is so interesting to me, those little and nuances of it. I never made that connection, but that makes so much sense, right? Just kind of adds to mm-hmm. to what is actually going on, right? Because when someone's creeping up behind you or coming up from behind, you can't see it happening. It's this impending danger. And then when you can see what's going on, when we have information, then you feel safe. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting, right? Absolutely. Everything is on purpose with our bodies, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other interesting thing, too, is like if you, uh, like the hair races up in the back of your neck, you know, when you're sort of on alert, you like know something is off. Um, like a dog that raises their hackles when they're on alert about something you know we have that in our own way Mm -hmm. uh that's dorsal for sure for sure wow so cool so cool (laughs) interesting yeah okay so vagal tone is this other term that gets thrown around with polyvagal theory um and i think that this will be a nice sort of segue into how we can actually work with the vagus nerve and 
and whatnot. So yeah, go ahead and tell us a bit about, about vagal tone and what that is. Sure. So vagal tone is essentially a fancy way of describing how regulated your nervous system is. And what I mean by that is how quickly are you able to move between the different states of your nervous system, the different pathways. So a lot of times what we see is when we were talking about before, someone who's been through a lot of trauma, not a lot of uh, people around them who have or who are involving them in pro-social engagements, then they're probably likely going to be stuck in one of the pathways. So a lot of times people who um, have been through something like sexual assault, for example, they're stuck in immobilization, shut down. Or someone who is around someone who is chronically anxious or um, chronically stressed, they might be stuck in mobilization, fight, flight, and they're not able to get into the different pathways, right? So, yeah, so it's just a, how quickly can you, can you recover from, it's not about never being in fight, flight, freeze mode. It's just about how quickly can you recover from a panic attack or a sound that's disturbing to you or, you know, a car accident, God forbid, or a stressful event. How quickly can you go back into ventral? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm thinking a lot about heart rate variability as you talk about this, which I imagine is probably very like physiologically closely tied with vagal tone. But um, yeah, same principle there where the it's more about your adaptability than where you stay, right? Like it's very normal for your heart rate to fluctuate a lot. Um, but how quickly does it come back down after you have a scare or how quickly can it, it raise up to respond to something like, or if you're just going for a run, if you're working out. Um, yeah, definitely. So yeah, with the vagus nerve, it's, it's the same thing. It's all about how we can adapt um, and to bring a bit of mindfulness into it as well. It's, it's kind of the idea of looking at your situation, being the observer and, and being able to see, okay, this is this, this kind of a situation. This is the zone to be in. Right. And with the vagus nerves, it all happens subconsciously. Right. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. It makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. <laughs> I love how much sense this is making. Good. I've always been so confused, so confused about this stuff. So. It can. Fantastic. Yeah, there's a lot of scientific jargon around it, but essentially it, it's fairly straightforward. When you, and when you understand mm-hmm. it, it clicks and everything just makes sense. That's what happened to me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, is there, if I may ask, is there a story there that you'd want to share about your your personal relationship sure. with it? Sure, yeah. So it's funny you ask. This is actually how I started learning about the polyvagal theory. Uh, Mm. I was in my master's program and I was interning at the same time on weekends. And I also had a full-time job. So my nervous system was very taxed on overdrive Mm -hmm. and just dealing with my own, you know, chronic stress, anxiety, burnout. And also, you know, at the time I was living in New York city, which is essentially the nervous system dysregulated capital of the world, right? (laughs) 
counselor. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of praise to be chronically stressed and anxious. Right. But, um, mm. everyone around me is also dealing with anxiety and stress. So you're kind of, when we think about mirroring, right. You're not really able to be around safe people or a safe situation to surrender because everyone's also dysregulated and mm. noticing that mm-hmm. with a lot of the clients that I was seeing when I first started out that even though they were kind of coming to me with different issues, it all seemed to kind of stem back to they're chronically stressed, they're chronically inflamed, and they don't know how to get into a state of rest and digest and peace, essentially, and connection mm-hmm. and themselves. Kind of through my own process of healing this within myself, I started working with, um, you know, people at the time, you know, therapists, even physical therapists, who really taught me a lot about the polyvagal theory, it kept showing up. And Mm -hmm. once, as I said, once it clicked, and I started to understand it, then everything just made sense. Because I think at least for me, I don't know about you, but when I know the why behind what's happening with my body, and what's actually going on, then it helps me to understand it. Because I find also, you know, with a lot of my clients who deal with chronic stress, anxiety, or they've dealt with a trauma, they, a lot of the times they say I'm broken. And, Mm. you know, I think that educating people on what's actually happening with your body, your body to protect you from threat, your body Mm -hmm. is not going against you. You're not broken. I think when people really understand that it's a lot easier to heal. Definitely. Definitely. That's such a, such a powerful message um, that, it, you know, it's not, you're not broken. Your body is just doing what it knows how to do. Um, your body activated this response when you needed it to. And now it's a matter of, of saying, okay, I don't, we don't need this anymore, uh, which is something that I can wholeheartedly relate mm. to. Um, it's very much something that my therapist and I have talked at length about. Um, but I, I very much too am somebody who likes to understand the why behind things and uh hence why I have one of the reasons why I have a podcast where I just get to ask people questions. Yeah. <laughs> when you have information, then you can make mm. decisions and you understand what's going on versus being unconscious too. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I I wanna come back to you to something that you said about the rest and digest um that's a a phrase sort of a state that i think a lot of people have heard at this point right like you're you're either um you know in the like fight and flight or freeze or you're having these activations or you're in um in rest and digest is like the space that we kind of need to get back into um or we at least need to have some of in our lives. But you you said rest and digest and connection, mm-hmm. which I think is, I was just like, heck yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that is uh, fantastic. Um, because that that is true, right? Like being able to lay on the couch and watch TV and not do anything is great that's you know for busy people um is an excellent skill to have 
to be able to sort of say like no to the outside world and say like I need this time to do nothing. But if you're also if you're just doing that and you're not connecting with yourself, with um with your story, with the things that your body has experienced, um, and with the people and the environment around you, like it's not a complete um not a complete state. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And and I know this might not sound like a popular thing for me to say because I love doing nothing and watching TV and <laughs> lying mm-hmm. on the couch. Mm-hmm. It can it can help you to be in that ventral state, but actually a lot of times it's shut down. Right. If your body mm. is just, I can't take it anymore. I have all of this chronic stress around me all the time. You don't have any energy left. And a lot of times we're disconnected when we're watching TV. I don't know about you. Sometimes when I watch TV, I'm, I know that oh, yeah. and I just want to turn on a, t- a show where I can escape. I wouldn't really say that's the ventral state. I would say that shutdown mm-hmm. state, but it's okay. Right. I think it's about knowing what state you're in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why I think maybe we can get more into it, but it, really the way that you can get back to ventral state is being present with yourself so that you can be present mm-hmm. with other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that's, um, you know, I guess maybe we could say like new wave self-care per se, right? <laughs> There's all this stuff that's like, take a bubble bath and like, go get your hair cut and do, do the things that are like nice to just sort of shut down and not think about the rest of your life, but they're not actually doing they're giving you a break but they're not making everything else any easier um exactly so yeah yeah, definitely that's a very important distinction to make um yeah so let's let's talk about that then what what do we do (laughs) with with this information um and i guess first i i because there are a lot of different things that we can talk about here but i wanted to start with how people can begin to just notice um what is going on in their body like how they can begin to pick out what state they might be in um so that they can make educated decisions yeah that's a really good question and that was my the first thing i was going to say is just can you start observing what it mm. feels like to be in those states and that might be difficult for people um so because a lot of times if you are in constant shutdown or mobilization mode then you're not really in your body right because you're Mm -hmm. thinking that you have to escape your body in order to survive so i would yeah dissociation yeah 100 so i would just you know start with being really kind to yourself and just obviously if you're listening to this and it resonates with you, it's probably for a reason and maybe Mm -hmm. just kind of recognize, okay, my nervous system might be a little dysregulated, but there is something I can do about it. And the first step I always say is to just be empathetic to yourself and not try to be perfect and always try to be in ventral state. As I said, that's impossible. So it's just more about Mm -hmm. how can you be easier with yourself. How can you be mindful with going as to what's going on in your body? So yeah, the easiest way to um, 
to kind of recognize that is, you know, I'm sure a lot of people know what anxiety feels like in their body and (laughs) what it feels like for me might feel differently for you. Some people get panic attacks Some people just have racing thoughts or, um, you know, they, their, their palms are sweaty or you kind of catch my drift or sometimes people have, uh, you know, I see a lot with clients that I see, they, they talk about how there's just no motivation. They want to go do things, but they physically can't, there's a lot of avoidance. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I would kind of say that that's immobilization. So really just kind of understanding what it feels like for you in those different states, because it's going to be different for everyone. And yeah, just start, just start noticing. And like I said, to just be kind to yourself, maybe you realizing, you know, I have a few clients that they don't even know what it's like to be in the ventral state, just because there's been so mm. much trauma and not a lot of, not a lot of regulation. Right. So Mm-hmm. it's okay but yeah 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 absolutely absolutely that that mindfulness is really the first step in anything I think first step in any kind of healing for sure and uh you brought up being kind to yourself and I, I actually took a mindful self-compassion course a few years ago which was lovely um and like I don't think I really knew how to do that like I mean you can call it positive self-talk but it's sort of on a different level like where you say literally the the phrase that was um the theme for that class was life is hard you know and like suffering is a part of life that's what it was um very buddhist Oh yeah, very Buddhist. Um, so like, may I give myself the love that I need? Um, and lots of visualizations about like giving, you know, like picturing little you and giving yourself a hug and all of that kinds of stuff. Um, and I could that is also definitely going to be a whole episode someday, but I will be sure to throw some links in the show notes just on mindful self-compassion because I think that's a a particular subset of mindfulness that isn't isn't well known enough um absolutely yeah yeah so this noticing is always the first step um and then once people begin to notice what are some of the tools that you you teach people to sort of like help get into the ventral state or just improve improve the vagal tone improve their um like help the body learn to adjust to be able to get into these different states. Yeah. So there's a lot of things you can do. It's very accessible. That's the, that's the good Mm -hmm. news. It just takes time. Right. So that's why I say be compassionate with yourself. Don't try to do everything all at once. Um, And compassion is a skill, by the way, it's not something we're we're taught. Oh, a (laughs) hundred (laughs) percent. That's why they offer classes. Yes, on exactly. It. I'm I'm still working in that school of self compassion. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a lot of things you can do. One interesting thing that's super accessible is you can gargle because if you think about it, right? If the vagus nerve is wrapping around your vocal cords, then if you're gargling, it automatically stimulates it. So that's something you can do. Mm. Also, singing. 
is another one because it stimulates your diaphragm as well as your vocal cords. And mm-hmm. I would say, you know, if, if you like to sing, I used to be in the choir. So now I mm-hmm. know why I, that was my favorite class <laughs> in yeah. high school because uh, yeah, if you're around a community where you're all singing and you're together and it feels safe, then that's double the dose of um, engaging with your vagus nerve. Um, mm-hmm. So other things mm-hmm. that I, for me at least, non-negotiable or really a big part of my life is integrating breath work. And that's something that I teach with all my clients. Uh, deep, slow breathing. Another thing that's really good is uh, box breathing. There. Mm-hmm you breathe in for the same count that you breathe out and you hold and it becomes a perfect square of a box and Mm -hmm. yeah you're like in for four hold for four out for four hold for four that kind of yeah it's it's super simple and I find that when people are just start first starting out with this that breath work like that is very helpful because you don't really have time to think about anything other than the exercise and all you really need to do is two or three sets it takes a minute and your whole nervous system is reset. So that's a really good one yeah. to try. Um, also laughing, laughter, <laughs> being around <laughs> safe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's connection. Yeah. That's also stimulating your diaphragm and that whole part of your, your nerve of the vagus nerve. And we mentioned singing yoga, another mm-hmm. one where you're connecting with your body and mm. um, your breathing and you're trying to get into that more rest and digest, relax. Mm-hmm. The last thing that's interesting that, you know, I guess kind of takes some gusto is uh, cold showers, which I've recently been hmm. trying to implement, although it's difficult, but the way, the reason why that works is when you first feel the cold, it's a shock to your nervous system, but then eventually your parasympathetic nervous system kicks in. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever done hot and cold therapy. It's intense, but afterwards have, you feel really good. <laughs> yeah, I have. I, I mean, you hear about, you know, I feel like it's kind of a YouTuber thing to be like, I did cold showers every day for a month. Um, um, I have not tried it, but yeah. <laughs> it sound i i believe it i believe it i am intrigued i sort of i want to try it as i'm like sitting here sweating in my closet and i'm like yeah i get a nice yeah, cold shower right now shower, yeah or check out uh the ice man hoff yeah have you heard of him i have mm-hmm. he's, he's intense he's a beast but he talks a lot about the nervous system dysregulation mm-hmm. and how uh taking cold showers really helps strengthen that so Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So interesting. Um humming has got to be one also. Yes, that's a good one. If, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. It's very cool. It's very cool. That's um like you say singing, but also just like singing badly in the car by yourself. If you're that's something that my dad is I don't talk about my family a whole lot on this show, but I will say this about him. Um he has been telling me almost every time I see him lately, he's like, yeah, I was just like blasting the music on the way here and I felt so good and I was just singing and my dad is quite tone deaf. Um, <laughs> I love him to death, but anytime I've ever heard him sing, I'm like, what, what are you, what, what song is that? Right. <laughs> uh, 
and I'm not really any better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like his his body knows, yeah. right? That it's it's good. It's good. So now you have an that's fantastic to sing poorly in your car or in the shower, and you're helping yourself. You can or in public. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I will do that walking around my neighborhood. I'll just be really into a song with my headphones and be like I'm just gonna I don't care yeah. I'll sing it or on bike rides that's my favorite because I have no idea who's like behind me or how far ahead people can hear me <laughs> and you know it's kind of an added level of mystery <laughs> but if you're into that but I'm sure it feels good <laughs> right I, you know whenever I pass someone who's singing out loud they always look like they're in a great mood and having the best time so they're yeah State. <laughs> definitely ventral yeah. state hashtag ventral right. state <laughs> so cool um okay so we've talked about what polyvagal theory is what the vagus nerve is where it goes in the body the dorsal and the ventral sides of it the impacts that childhood experiences can have on it um how we feel that in our daily lives now and what we can do to improve the vagal tone to help our bodies be able to transition into that ventral state. Um, but what about long-term changes? Like, what what do we know about that? You know, like, these exercises are, like, it's fun to take a cold shower and sing on your bike ride. Um, maybe not fun to take a cold shower, but fun to sing on your bike ride. Um, I was thinking singing in the shower, and then I added cold, and I was like, wait, this doesn't work anymore. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, long term, what do, what do these things mean for our nervous system? Right. So, you know, I would say very similar to what we were talking about, right? That when you know that you have a dysregulated nervous system, like I said, it, it's not something that you can change overnight. It, yes, it does take mm -hmm. time to heal. But I would say prioritizing, you know, yourself and being exposed to, to that kind of mirror the ventral vagus activation, right? So being around, say, people that you trust, joining, mm -hmm. you know, communal events that feel positive to you, people that feel positive and um, that make you feel good, as, as well as combining those relaxation methods that we just talked about that you can do just something small every day for yourself that, you know, remember when we spoke about bagel tone, it's, it's not about just avoiding and, and that, you know, being in the dorsal side is, is bad. It's inevitable that mm. you're going to be in the dorsal side. But it's just about how quickly can you vacillate between the different stages. And so mm -hmm. every day, if you're doing something small for yourself that helps you even to get into the ventral state, even if it's for a couple minutes, right, that that's still improving your vagal tone. And like I said, it's going to take time, especially if you're someone who's been through a lot of trauma or you know you, you don't really know what it feels like to feel safe that mm -hmm. just be patient with yourself but it is possible to absolutely possible to improve your bagel tone mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so cool very hopeful <laughs> take your cold showers 
<laughs> gargle, <laughs> sing, laugh, hang out with people that you feel good around, and uh, your nervous system will appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, to summarize it all. Cool. I have, I always learn so much in these episodes, but I, like, I feel pumped to go take a cold shower now. <laughs> well, now you know, see, I, I think maybe you and I are similar where I like to know why I'm doing something, mm -hmm. what it's actually mm -hmm. going to do, and then mm -hmm. I can believe in it more, see the yeah. change more versus yeah. someone just telling me take a cold shower and saying, I, I need to know the why. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, now we do. We know a bit more of it. So this has been a really fun episode. And I'm so glad that we got to sit down and talk about polyvagal theory. Um, yeah, so if people want to find your practice or connect with you or something like that, where, where can they reach you at? Yeah, so uh, they could find me on my website, psychotherapywithjenna.com. And then you just click on work with me and you'll just be connected to my email address. Cool. Well, thank you so much. And uh, um, of course, we'll have the links in the show notes. And yeah, that's it. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, dear listeners. You can find all the links to the things we spoke about as well as Jenna's website if you want to get in touch with her in the show notes. If you have questions, thoughts, feedback that you want to share with us or ideas for future episodes, please get in touch. You can send me an email at podcast at freerangepsych.org or message me on Instagram at psychiatricapodcast. And remember, if you like what you heard, follow us on your podcatcher of choice and leave us a review. It really helps to spread the word so others can learn about true soul healing. All right, dear listeners, I wish you all the best and I'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.